from HerbMentor.com. This is HerbMentor Radio. You are listening to HerbMentor Radio on HerbMentor.com. I'm John Gallagher. My guest today is Cascade Anderson Geller. Cascade is a Portland, Oregon-based herbalist with more than three decades of experience in a wide arena, including private practice, schools of healing arts and medicine, conferences, her own herb shop, and herb walks in remote and urban areas around the world. She served on faculty at the National College of Naturopathic Medicine, Bastyria University, Southwest College of Naturopathic Medicine, the California School of Herbal Studies, and has offered her own intensive herbal program in Portland for years. Cascade even started three food co-ops across the U.S. You can take classes from Cascade at the 10th International Herb Symposium, June 24th to the 26th. That's this year, 2011, in Massachusetts, along with many folks I've interviewed on this podcast. And you can meet many of them in one place. LearningHerbs.com is a proud sponsor of the conference, and you can visit uh, the International Herb Symposium at InternationalHerbSymposium.com. Cascade, welcome. Well, thank you, John. Thank you for having me on Herb Mentor. Thank you. Great the, to be here. Oh, it's it's an honor. So, um, you know, you're one of those herbalists that you can pretty much just talk about anything with. <laughs> <laughs> some people a lot of things. <laughs> some some people have certain you know niches or things they specialize in. But, but um, so what we what we have for you a little later um, is just a, a big um, big assortment of of cool questions that members on herbmentor.com have submitted. So I'm excited for those questions, and we'll get to those in a bit. But first, I'm always fascinated fascinated by um, the story of an herbalist. So. I'm wondering is how did you start? How did you learn? Who your mentors were? What inspired you? All that. So that's a big well, question. <laughs> it is a big question, and it's a very important question. And my story really starts out as a child because my uh, parents are from the South, even though I was raised a Northerner, a Yankee, uh, because <laughs> my dad left the South. My mom and dad left the South um, for work. But we, I was deeply connected to uh, North Georgia because they're both from there, and, and that's where all of the relatives were. So I spent a good deal of time there in my life. And my mother's side of the family and my father's were both involved in plant um, wildcrafting foods and medicines from the beautiful you know, hills and uh, mountains that dominate there. And so I had this great um just experiences picking wild things and bringing them back home and using them. So as long as I can remember, that's been a part of my life. And I think that that's an important aspect uh, for a lot of reasons, but one is because it instilled in the uh, innate trust of nature as a place to go for sustenance and for healing. And, you know, much later in my life when I began uh, teaching about herbs and wild foods and also uh, working with people with health concerns, um, I realized that even though they were seeking out the help of an herbalist, they didn't really have the platform of trust of, you know, that comes with when you learn something at the knee of people that you deeply love and trust, like your parents and your grandparents. So anyway, I think that that's a very important aspect of my relationship with plants and people 
and and trying to get the two of them together and to develop that intimate relationship, which is why uh, I think it's so important to just get outdoors as much as possible. You get to know the plants as much as possible and and start that start building that trust before you're ill. Actually, is the best because then it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. I think you know to, to build a layer of trust when you're already dealing with something that is maybe uncomfortable or mm-hmm. uh, very concerning. But it's people still do it, and it's possible, but I think it's great to start young. And, and I think that's what's happening now. You know, and, this, and now my classes are filled with second and even third generation people now that uh, whose moms and dads were into various ways of healing, you know, alternative so-called healing and and so I see that trust already built into a lot of those young people that are taking the classes now. And so it started all over again, you know. And do you have like, um, did your grandparents or parents uh, pass on knowledge to you uh, specifically? Or was it like uh, other mentors in your area, just something you felt, just found yourself studying at one point? or like? Well, you know, first of all, it's helping your parents, your grandparents pick things. I mean, that's, you know, it's not like they just go out and provide. You you, you go out there and dig and cut and harvest too. So, you know, it's whether you're picking wild musky dying grapes or, um, you know, digging around for ginseng or um, golden seal or yellow root, xanthoriza. Um, and and that's what you did as a, and you did all that as a young person. Yeah, as a kid. You know, so that's that was just normal for you. <laughs> It's not like you know. Hill people don't. Hill people don't um, make a big deal about mm-hmm. those kind of things. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't like you're you're necessarily proud of it, or you're you're you know claiming yourself to be an herbalist or a healer of any kind. I think you know, like my granddad was, my mother's father was sought out for his healing abilities. My his mother, uh, my great-grandmother, was an herbalist and a midwife, and more in a formal sense, you know, where there was actually exchanges, not necessarily money, because people back in those days didn't have a lot of money, and there was a lot of trade that went on. But, you know, um, there, was some, there was formal stuff like that. But more, in, more specifically, it was just the doing. You know, when the, when the season was right and the ramps were, you know, in the spring, the ramps are ready to pick. You, you, you know, that's what you did, you know. And so, uh, and even uh, even up in the north, as when my mother and dad moved to the north, you know, there there are a lot of the same plants. And so you still, you know, did a lot of, you know, we had dandelion greens every spring, a long series of them, as a spring tonic, but also just as a food, you know. As, and my mother made wilted uh, dandelion salads. Uh, wilted, wilting the greens with hot. She she used a pork, um, salt pork, which is you know famous Southerners. They made their own. You know, my mother grew up making, you know, doing doing her own meats, and so you know, salt pork was something that people had that they could save, and and you ju- you just render out some of the you know not a lot, but some of the fat and sa- saute some onions and garlic in it, and pour that or ramps if you had them, mm-hmm. pour that over the. Um, greens and that was you know that was a delicious salad that was also serving as a a medicinal food so the combination you know of of um food as medicine 
you know, that was something that I also grew up with on both sides of the family, on my dad's mm. side as well. And wow. it, it, you were always supposed to eat it so that you could eat things that were very special and powerful foods, you know, especially from the wild, so that you would be, you wouldn't get sick. I mean, that was the point. It wasn't, it wasn't any kind of big deal, you know, it was just a, hopefully you stayed out of doctor's offices and hospitals, you know. Right. And that was what makes the most sense because, you know, folks up there and that makes, so what was it like when you realized one day, you know, you came down, you came down from the hill and, and you were met lots of other folks out there and, and realized they didn't quite have the same upbringing as yours, that they're like, what? <laughs> Was that? Would you ever have a moment like that, or? or? Well, I was always surprised at how um, far the human humans can get without um, a lot of knowledge about the Earth. That that has been really astounding to me. That uh, you know that we can dominate in such a way with, and really be so disconnected. Uh, but I I feel that I, and I have seen so much that people want to be so deeply connected to the earth. Most people mm-hmm. have that deep, deep desire, and even though they may not do a lot about it, uh, as far as getting outdoors, they love to watch nature shows. They love to feel connected to butterflies and you know beautiful flowers and uh, and you know big cats or whatever. They're they're interested in all of that, and of course, people love. Their pets, their animals, who are you know quite close to nature, whether you know even if they're an indoor animal, they're still they still have that innate ability, and so I I, I feel like people want that connection. But the way that we've developed, I think, over the many centuries on the planet, you know, is to keep being protected one layer after another from nature, and it is kind of astounding how how far we can get from it, but. Also, any little gap uh, allows people, in their consciousness, allows people to move right back over to nature and, and realize how, how important it is. And I think that's one thing that illness often does for people is it opens a little gap to, mm. you know, wanting to explore ways that maybe have been in the back of their mind or it's just something that's deep inside them that they haven't operated on and they and all of a sudden they want to connect with it more. Mm-hmm. I see that a lot with pregnancy, too. You know, people, all of a sudden, when they get pregnant or are trying to get pregnant, there's an opening, and and, and they want very much to move forward with things that, that have been in the back of their mind. And often, you know, I think it is yeah. nature. You know, because I, I, um, cause, cause you're teaching students all the time, and you're always in touch as well with, you know, the fact that for somebody who has an opening and realizes, you know, I want to learn about plants and you, and you know how overwhelming and scary that can seem in the, in the very beginning for someone. And, and I always try to keep in touch with that space so I can keep connecting with folks on that level because that's the reality. So what are things that you do with your students to simply show them, Hey, you know, connecting with nature and having the space isn't, is really easy. You know. Yeah. Well, I think first of all, you know, of course, herb walks. But uh, and I love doing herb walks probably more than any part of my teaching. Uh, but I, when I'm doing an indoor class, an evening class, with um, herb walks, you know, on the weekends, what I like to start with are is what I call produce aisle healing, and mm-hmm. that is getting to know the plants 
in the produce aisle that you that people buy all the time and, mm. and bring home and eat, but they don't know that other side of them that are more medicinal. And so, for example, in this class I'm doing right now in the healing power of plants in Portland, um, you know, we're just going down the produce aisle and we're working our way through it. And, you know, this week it's um, dealing with the Apiaceae family, the Umbles, you know, that, that are available in the in the market there and, you know, celery and cilantro and fennel and uh, carrots, you know, just to name uh, the top four and then expanding into the seeds of those that, you know, you use in your cooking or should use if you're not, you know, the spice, the anise seeds and fennel seeds and cumin and coriander. And uh, so it's really starting with things that people are already fairly intimate with and then building from that. I'm really into building from what's already there. What is the base the person has, you know, whether you're doing clinical work or teaching, uh, you know, through in classes or seminars, it's what's already there, what do you have to build from? Uh, and trying to build to to shore up the base that the person already has. Hmm. And sure, you know, people that come to herb classes or seek out an herbalist for health consultations, um, they already have some sort of base there. They wouldn't have found you. You know, mm-hmm. they, they have some level of trust and something has built some kind of foundation. Hmm. So, you know, it's, it, I always want to spend time getting to know that what what a little, a little bit more about that foundation just like you're doing with me right now what's my base what did i how come i'm interested in plants how can i can how can i feel good enough about um that base in order to move off of that and into realms of uh, teaching other people which i consider to be a very big responsibility mm-hmm. you know whether you're just teaching or um you know even more so helping somebody with uh with their health you know individually that's a huge honor that someone would seek you out, uh, I think, to start with, and then making sure that you have a good foundation and you have enough experience to really be able to draw from. Right. Because you're going to be carrying, in some ways, you're going to be carrying that person a little bit as they develop more of a relationship or more of, you know, they get better or they get more information if it's a class. Right. You're, you're kind of carrying everybody, and you've got to have a really sound based yourself it can't be just academic that's for sure as far as i'm concerned the academics are very interesting and i love books and uh, but they fall away as time goes by a lot of the book stuff uh, when you're really working with people and you're looking for things that are very meaningful and authentic and the only place that those exist are really in the plants you know mm. in nature itself that's where that exists and well, that resonates that, it makes a lot of sense well, I, there's a story that illustrates that um, from when uh, Rosemary and I, Rosemary Gladstar, brought Rocio Alarcon, who will be at the International, which you mentioned, the International Herb Symposium. She she will be there this year. And uh, anyway, in 1994, she, she brought Rocio to the International Herb Symposium, and I went to her classes as much as I could. I really deeply connected with her and mentioned to Rosemary that it would be great to study more with her. And she said, yeah, let's do it. So knowing Rosemary's great energy, she got a trip together in 1996. And so we started out on this um, this study program with Rocio, you know, letting her guide us in, in Ecuador to the places and people that she thought and plants that she thought we would benefit from. Mm. So on that first trip, we 
went to a very wonderful area that uh, is called the Choco region in northern Ecuador on the coast that is not very well known at all. Not, there's no tourist, tourism there. There wasn't then. There's a little bit now. But um, anyway, we were fortunate enough to for Rocio uh, to have set up this uh, these three shamans who came and worked on our group. And, and I use that word loosely because they they probably wouldn't like that word too much, but because mm-hmm. that's how we can relate to it, I'll use it. But anyway, the guy that, um, the very nice man that we had in our group, we broke into three smaller groups, uh, and the group I was with, um, I really connected with him so much. He, well, for one thing, he, he completely... I knock on wood here, and I'm not going to do. I'm going to do it right here on my oak desk. But um, mm-hmm. that because I had some carpal tunnel, and I'd had a lot of work done on, with people here in Portland, some of the best people, and outside of Portland, and done a lot of work on it myself. And I was holding my own with it. It wasn't like I was, you know, going downhill with it. But it was present. But anyway, without him saying a word, he worked on my, on my. I didn't tell him there was anything wrong with me when it was my turn to be worked on. He just went directly to my wrists, and he did a series of things. Wow. And, you know, it, it completely took it away. And um, so, uh, you know, I, I was astounded the next morning. I'd always wake up with, you know, with um, uh, hands that were partially asleep in the morning. And it was really from using the computer. That was back in the day when, you know, a lot of us were so wowed by the Internet and everything. We were spending way too much time on, on the <laughs> computer. Uh, but anyway, um, I woke up the next morning and putting away my bedroll, and I realized that I had my hands were great, you know, and I, I didn't have time to think about it because I was helping to run the group. But, you know, it just never came back. But another thing that happened with that man relating more back to um, what we were talking about with going to nature for the authentic piece is I had a book with me. And uh, about, you know, Amazonian plants. And even though that's not the Amazon, a lot of the plants are the same. And uh, I had it out, and he was, saw me with it, and he came over, and he, we had to have two translators to work with, um, oh, uh, or one translator. We had one translator that spoke both Chapalachi and Spanish. So it's difficult, you know, communicating. But his main point was he wanted to look at the book, and so I handed it to him, and he wanted to know for me to know that these drawings these little line drawings in the book were not the plants and i said i do realize that you know and uh then he proceeded to sniff it and carefully run his hands over it and then he asked me if he could borrow it i said well yeah i I was concerned because i liked that book right but um he wanted to borrow it i i thought great you know this man I'll, i'll give him anything so I gave him the book, and he had it for a while, and he came back with it a couple days later, and he said, um, what's this made out of? And I said, well, it's made out of trees. And I and he knew about making paper. In fact, Rocio had helped make a little paper cooperative in another village, uh, and they had seen that paper where they're grinding up the actual fiber and everything. So anyway, uh, he says, oh, oh, oh. He said, well, he says, you didn't write the book. I said, no. He says, um, you didn't draw these pictures? No, I didn't. He says, what does the book have to do with you? I said, well, I, I use it for learning. And, and he says, well, basically, you know, you, you really can't learn for anything about plants except from the plants themselves. And then I asked him about his teaching teacher, you know, his mentor. He had a mentor up in Columbia. And he said, well, 
he says, my mentor taught me some things that he could teach me, but I had to go and meet the plants and figure out how the plants were going to perform for me uh, and what my relationship was with them. It wasn't that he could teach me that. So he was very baffled by our interest in their plants, for one thing, because we were so, from so far away. Um, but in the end, he ended up seeing that really what that book had for me was that it was made from trees, and those trees were the, what was speaking to me from the book and not the information that wasn't my information that hadn't come through, channeled oh. to me. Uh, and it was, wow. you know, it was very profound. Right. Wow. So I, I, that's the kind of thing that, you know, that he brought to words what I, what I felt innately, you know, in many ways. And yet, mm. of course, I still like books because I'm, we've, we're trained with that. It's whatever mm. we're trained with as a child. Um, you know, that's what we kind of relate to and what we go back to for when we are feeling ill at ease or having any kind of difficulties, we tend to go, you know, we call it comfort foods or comfort activities or whatever. We tend to want to go back there. So uh, with our training in academics, I think it is a stretch to begin to learn to trust information from any other source but through the academic, uh, you know, vehicle. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's that's great. Goodness, that's exactly what I, my underlying goal and all our work on Herb Mentor and all is as well, is developing that relationship between people and nature. And that's the most important thing. That's where the real healing is, right? Yeah, I think I think that that's, and healing is a huge word, you know. To <laughs> me, it's certainly changed forms since I was, um, you know, in my 20s and starting an herb practice, which I sort of smile now at, you know, that I would even have the audacity to think that I'd have enough life experience, um, much less knowledge (laughs) to do that, you know, but uh, there was wonderful epiphanies made with people, um, you know, that great healings that occurred through the plants and the foods and and the activities that people were willing to do to make changes in their lives. Um, But healing... And I've learned this a lot from traditional people. Healing encompasses not just feeling good uh, and being very active and all the things that we sort of relate to right now as health. Um, There's layers of health, I think, on every level. It doesn't matter what you have left of your physical body. There's a healthy way to approach that place, you know, whether you're very, very ill, and actually on the verge of dying, you know, and, and, and passing over, there's a, there's a layer of health there. You know, if you have a, a co- very complicated genetic disease that mm-hmm. um, makes your life very difficult compared to the way that you see most people getting around, um, there's a layer of health that can be overlaid on that through a change in mindset, of, uh, you know, and activities, mm-hmm. foods. So I, I think health is... So diverse and, and uh, so um, big these days for me. You know, it's just it's just humongous, and it does relate to every level of of being. You know, of, of life as we know it, and and of course through work with other people that work on different levels, like that shaman I was mentioning. Um, you know, it, it it extends beyond just the visual and the physical emotional, spiritual things that we see right here. You know, it, could be, it even expands beyond that, I think. So health is, is a huge word, and I don't use it 
health and healing. I don't use those words lightly uh, as I used to, maybe more so. I hope I'm conveying that fairly <laughs> yes, clearly. Yes, you are. It's, it's kind of a the, into the woo-woo level, but you know, I think many people, whether you're a physicist or whatever you are, in, if you go deep enough into whatever um, uh, interest you have, then you start to really see how big everything is. You know, it's just so so big. You know, I I I encourage people in the IHS to get there because uh, last time I was there, I did get a chance to participate in a uh, event with uh, Rocio as well as uh, you know, Dona Enriqueta and mm-hmm. Raylene, you know, from Hawaii, and yeah. uh, and that was fantastic. It was amazing, and yeah. it was really, it really, I really got a lot out of that. She she definitely, you know, that that was great experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, traditional people, uh, I think, around the world, I try very hard um, over my, the years when I, before I had a family um, in my travels to always go and stay a long time with people that were living close to plants. And all of those people, when you stayed long enough, um, they they all operated on this very deep spiritual level about everything. You mm-hmm. know, it wasn't just about healing. It wasn't just about it was really an all-encompassing, and, and I think that level of spirit for humanity is really the glue that keeps us together, whether we're, you know, really conscious of it or not. You know, we, we, we there is a level of consciousness about it, I think, even when we're, we're, we seem quite unconscious about it. And But traditional people don't have to, in general, don't have to worry about being seen as a an oddball or you know, a complete freak, uh, and they, and everything, in fact, you know, that, that shaman that I mentioned earlier, he, one of the things he said, the first night we arrived, people were very tired, we have to go a long ways up a boat, we had a long, uh, we had a plane ride on the same day, a plane ride, a bus ride, and then a, like a 50-mile boat ride up a river. Hmm. People were very exhausted. It's about 11 o'clock at night. The people that in the village are up way later than they're supposed to be, too, than they wanted to be, waiting for us. Uh, and they had prepared a feast, and right away everybody wants a, a shower and a and bed. You know, they, they aren't even worried about food anymore, even though they were starving a little while before that. Um, but the shaman was very clear with saying um, to the leaders, you know, we have to have this ceremony first, the welcoming part is very important. If we don't do that, uh, you know, it, it's not going to it's not going to work out well. And you need to make sure that people understand that. And so, of course, we had to kind of snap people too and say, "Look, we came all this way because we are here to learn, and this is the first lesson here in this village is what we're going to do, what they what they want us to do." So anyway, the, the point was that we had to sing and dance with them. They they taught us something to do, and and. People were like, are you kidding? You know, it's really brought up a lot of energy around <laughs> being exhausted and everything. And we were, we had to get kind of tough like drill sergeants and say, you will sing and dance, you know, and get going with it. So, but you know, within five minutes of that ceremony starting, people's energy was totally changed. We stayed up, we had, you know, we had the feast. Nobody talked about bed anymore, and when people went to bed, you know, it was fine, you know. Uh, but the point is, spirit comes first, you know. You take care of spirit, 
um, and then everything falls into place. Mm. And that's their point. And later in the trip, he, he came to me again, and he said, can you tell the people something? This is my final kind of words. Is the most important thing humans have to do is sing and dance. Wow. And I said, wow, you know, that's, that's <laughs> it. And he says, yeah, he says, because we're responsible for keeping a, a certain level of energy going, you know, and, on the planet. And he didn't say on the planet, but just to keep a certain level of energy going, basically, was how it was translated. And that if we fall down on that, you know, it's not good. <laughs> mm. Wow. Anyway. And, you know, and, 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 and speaking of, you know, going out and having these adventures, you, I, I read where um, yourself and Rosemary Gladstar, um, you are taking a group to Ecuador in 2012? That's right. We're going to, Rocio and Rosemary and I are going back. We haven't been there since 2001. Wow. Uh, so and and we're, how, we're, how, where do people find out about that? <laughs> well, um, I, it's going to get, it's not, it's it's barely out there. We're right, right. finishing the itinerary. But um, the I, I think it's going to be posted on, on Rosemary's Sage Mountain site. Right. And that would be a good place to go. But people can contact me, too, and I'd be happy to get them connected up, you know, with, with uh, so that they can see if it's if it's a trip that is going to be good for them or not. And, folks, if you go to the IHS, you can ask Cascade and Rosemary about it personally. That's and true. Rocio. All three of them will be there. That's right. <laughs> We're all having a reunion. So don't miss that. <laughs> um, so... So, Kesky, what I'd like to do now on the second part of this is just get to some of these questions, which will seem pretty random to folks because they were randomly submitted. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so these, um, I'm just going to go for it. And and everyone listening, whoever submitted questions, you know, we only got so much time, so we're going to get to what we can get to here. Um, And we always have the forum on our mentor to ask your question. If you really need that answered, you can just go on there and ask, and and maybe the community can help each other out too. All right. Great service. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's great because, um, you know, having a forum that's within a site that's kind of private, you know, in a way, you know, then people feel safer. And also there's a lot of like respect and people help each other out with their own experiences. And yeah, that's great. So the whole concept is people are helping mentor each other (laughs) and it's not, you know, and it's really about that personal relationship with nature and their nerves. Um, so, um, Cascade, Jennifer uh, writes in here that natural progesterone cream is commonly recommended to women for hormone balance. Um, and she says, I know this progesterone is synthesized from wild yam. And her questions are, um, is it is it uh, truly natural to get progesterone like this? And can the same benefits be obtained by simply using wild yam in its whole herb form? So what do you think about that? Well, that's a, that's a big ball of wax. Yeah. And well, you know, just to, even if we just give people directions, you know, where yeah. to look. Or... Well, I always say, um, first of all, I would clarify that I always tell all my students to take everything I say with a teaspoon of tamari. Um, <laughs> and. Good. Because they're, you know, everyone has their viewpoint, and it gets very confusing in the mm-hmm. world everywhere to figure out things. But my own feeling about progesterone creams, uh, and I've seen, I've not, I generally don't um, recommend them uh, myself. Uh, I, as far as like buying them, because mm-hmm. in general, I tr- the, one of my big points in my classes 
and my practice is to try to get people to, as much as possible, make things themselves so that mm-hmm. they start with ingredients that they can see mm-hmm. and manipulate them into something else that they can use uh, if they need to be manipulated. So most of the progesterone creams, they're basically, my understanding is two types. And, and it's really good. You can go on the Internet now. It's so much easier than the old days to research some of this. You know, some progesterone creams have just naturally occurring um, uh, you know, from basically a yam base. Others have a yam in them, but they also may have progestin or other forms of progesterone in them. And so you want to, you know, if you're having really, I, uh, the, the kind of the scuttlebutt is if you're having really excellent results with your progesterone cream, it's probably because it's not just, you know, from, from natural wild yam. Uh, that said, you know, wild yam as an herb, uh, diascorea, usually we, we, and we relate to wild yam in our country medicinally as diascorea villosa, but there's over 200, maybe 250 species identified of, of wild yams uh, in the diascorea genus. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and I've tried to get to know those both by eating them in, in my travels, uh, talking to people, um, that I can speak to about, you know, in the in the areas where they're grown and they're used as food. How do they use them for medicine? What are they? What are they? What is their um, relationship with them? So, you know, my my uh, feeling about diascorea villosa, and from my own experience, is that it can be very powerful as a muscle relaxer, a smooth muscle relaxer, relaxer as as is in all of the old. And newer herb books, um, you know, it, it was specific for relaxing the uterine muscle. I've, I've also seen it re- for relaxing, um, for allowing um, gallstones to be passed, uh, again, because of the smooth muscle tissue involved there. Also for uh, urinary tract stones. So, you know, it has a very, I think, a very strong action when it's used properly. It's very hard, almost like little rocks. It's one of the few herbs that I buy powdered to keep in my pharmacy. Mm. Uh, generally, I like to powder things. If I do want them powdered at all, I'm going to powder them myself with my various grinders I have. But wild yam breaks blades, you know, even good stainless steel blades, very hard to powder. So I, I like it in a powdered form. People can use that to make uh, products to put on topically, which I think also has some use for muscle relaxing. And they may also be able to be effective to some degree for helping with balancing hormones. Um, and also, uh, it's been, you know, wild yam in itself I've seen be really helpful for headaches, it, you know, taken as an, a tea or a tincture for headaches um, or the powder just stirred into water uh, uh, for headaches related to premenstrual um, or perimenstrual, you know, before or after the, the menstrual cycle. Uh, so, you know, I've, I've certainly used it a lot and I like the herb, so I want to make that really clear. Mm-hmm. But as far as just the general, like this person's question sounds like, you know, there's not a specific thing she's using it for that I'm hearing there. It's more of just hormone balancing. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So in general, my senses with pra- in practice is to try not to need to use something that I'm going to need to send somebody to the market to buy on a regular basis that there mm-hmm. that if if there's other if there's symptoms of hormone imbalance like you know premenstrual 
really difficult premenstrual things or breakthrough bleeding or um, other other signs that things are really out of whack, then you know maybe it's a good thing to use if it's working well. Maybe it's a good thing to use on on a in courses, not not on a daily basis. And, mm. and courses are something that I always teach for chronic illness, uh, chronic conditions, is to take use if it's helpful, use it for a week or two weeks, ten days, something like that. Take a good break from it, five days, ten days, two weeks. Do another course of it, on and off, on and off. This is really good for adaptogenic herbs for stress, like ginseng, um, Eleutherococcus, Siberian ginseng, other other Aurelias that have been used as adaptogenic herbs. Um, and I, I, I think that in my experience with working with um, people and in my trainings with people, courses are really important where you're not taking something day in and day out. So I, I'm really very, I try to steer people away from getting not hooked, you know, um, as far as addiction goes, but just hooked on using something day in and day out. One thing that can happen with YLDM, just taking it orally, is uh, it can peter out. You can see it have great results with people with helping to balance hormones for, and they last for months. Then it just begins to become less effective, and I think adjusting the formula um, is important and getting rid of the YLDM for a while, and not necessarily forever, but bring, can be reintroduced. But uh, anyway, the on again, off again, and I call it in, in a course. That's mm-hmm. how I learned, okay. learned about it. Okay. Okay, great. I, I, if she can research her product um, specifically and what's in it and whether or not it's got, uh, you know, um, progesterone from sources other than wild yam, that's that she can probably find that out and then make a decision, you know, based on whether or not that's what you want to do. Is use progesterone is very powerful and a little bit goes a long way. Okay. Um... You know, it's the, the another question we have here was, uh, uh, well, a person named Bobble Frog. That's a great. That's a great name. Anyway, she was actually thinking of going to Belize um, to, with uh, wanted to learn about plants traditionally. And uh, res, interesting recommendations you have for someone wanting to experience, um, uh, wanting that experience in terms of educational preparation and how to arrange that type of trip. Well, just. Go see you at the I <laughs> go, go go to Ecuador well, in 2012. Yeah, but I think you know when you take a tour, when you go on yeah. a tour, yeah, yeah, it's very different than what maybe this person is wanting to experience. Right, and, right. Totally. You know how I would interpret that question is, right. and my and my my uh, advice would be, having been a traveler like that mm-hmm. um, my, myself. Is that? Uh, but first of all, Belize is a nice country to go to if you are not if you only speak English, because mm-hmm. because it was a British colony. Um, it was it, it you know a lot of the Mayan people, though they may not like it, do speak English. Mm-hmm. So if you're wanting to, uh, and then you have also the coastal people, um, uh, the the uh, African people. I'm forgetting what they're called there. Um, and I haven't worked with those people directly. I've met them, but I haven't really done any work with them. That's another whole culture that's very African that you can plug into. And they, of course, speak. Uh, gee, I'm forgetting the language, the name of that language too. But you know, it's 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 English based too. So anyway, Belize is a nice country for if you want to go and experience 
a different culture and 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 learn more about the healing. Of course, um, Rosita Arvigo um, has written a book called Sastun, S-A-S-T-U-N. And Rosita is a wonderful uh, teacher. She does some teaching still there. It's um, more with the Mayan uh, abdominal massage, more so than maybe uh, more broader-based learning. But they could plug into something that Rosita Arvigo is doing there. Uh, she also created the Mayan Medicine Trail uh, adjacent to her property uh, there in the middle of the country. Wow. And so that's called the Mayan Medicine Trail. It's marked, and it's now, um, I believe, owned by um, a, a group that keeps it up, and she helps with it too. But um, that's a, a, you know that's a nice place to start, and there's gives you a, a it's nice to land somewhere uh, if you're in a new country with some connection just a little bit to get your feet yeah. on the ground mm-hmm. and um, but I would suggest in Belize uh, to go south and um, and just connect with the Mayan people as much as possible by being unobtrusive and also carrying buying food uh, bringing things that are of value to them in your backpack you know small things not expecting to get something for nothing. Uh, you know, it's not like they, they necessarily want money for their for your education. But, it, you know, you really do need to be very, very respectful of people. Uh, and in helping people, my, my experiences in the past have been to stay with people, pay them. You know, you can always find family homes that are open to keeping, letting travelers stay with them. Then you can pay them for your room and board uh, and just you want to be unobtrusive but helpful and, and, and offer to help with just menial tasks. And that allows you to get very close to people. A lot of times you're more trouble than you're worth because you're not very good at what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, you know, it is a way to connect. And then you know, being able to spend time with people then is when you can get into more of the healing things, unless there's a clinic or situation where you can plug into or uh, some sort of healing uh, arts person who's looking for somebody to plug in with them. And, and of course, it's very hard to know that until you kind of settle in. Right. So the main point of all this rambling um, is to go with enough time where you can really plug in, get, don't, try not to stay in hotels, try to stay with people, pay them adequately for your room and board, offer to help, you know, be available, sit around in the villages, um, at the time when other people are sitting around in the villages, uh, just the average people don't don't tend to congregate with um, travelers or other tourists. Tend to keep more to yourself, and mm-hmm. it, you know, I let people know that you're there to learn from them. You know, mostly what happens in other countries is uh, people that are that are there often, um, especially like Peace Corps people, and not to put down the Peace Corps, but. Um, missionaries, Peace Corps, they're often there to tell the people that there's something that they're lacking, that they that they need to make some changes in mm-hmm. their life, you know, that are, you know, whether it's latrines or gardening or farming techniques or whatever that can be improved. And that's not to say that there isn't good exchange that can happen. But in general, um, people in some of these remoter areas are very suspect of people who just show up who are looking to learn from them, you know, because uh, that's very unusual mm-hmm. in general. And, you know, that was the whole point of Rocio 
um, in, in our trip to um, Ecuador, the first and you know the, all three of them, was we were there to honor the people, to honor the the shamans, to honor the, the people working in the healing arts and the crafts and everything that that Rocio felt we should um, wanted to to acknowledge the the power that those people have, not there as a missionary in a missionary posture to say, well, you know, you need to change. What you're thinking is wrong. Mm-hmm. We're there to say, boy, we're really interested, and and we would like to learn from you. And what you have is of great value at this point in time, and always, you know, it's it's of great value. Uh, and we've come all this way um, to learn from you. And and I think that that's the kind of attitude that a traveler that wants to connect with people for learning, whatever it is, mm-hmm. but especially healing, because a lot of that stuff is hidden, uh, secret. Um, and for good reason, um, uh, you know, that they, they've kept it close. And uh, and so, you know, a lot of times we, we waltz in with our notebooks or cameras, <laughs> and that's those are problematic right there. Right, right. Uh, you don't want to be waltzing around too much with that stuff. And you you want to look pretty pretty plain, you know, just stripped down, not a lot of baggage uh, in, in many ways, to really get into the deeper learning and and, uh, and, and have and probably beautiful. have no expectations, right? I mean, just you know, the, yeah, go, go really, with an open mind and see where it goes. Exactly. And when you when you really keep your uh, something I've learned from political activism is um, is that a, a political activist that's going to be successful generally has to know what they want. So you, you have an open mind in this in this travel situation, but you also are, you know what you want and they make it more general, but you're there for a purpose. And that purpose is to honor the people, to honor the culture, to be open to new ideas, even very far fetched things that are going to stretch you to be open to those and to keep those in mind every day. Um, and really let people know that how respectful you are, you know, through respect, that's when people are willing to share and, and open up, uh, little by little, and it is a little by little process. It's not something that someone can go down for a week or two or even a month. You know, it's it's a long term process. Yeah. And a lot of the shaman people, so called, you know, they don't have they they don't have people that are interested in their communities as much as they used to because of the westernization that has happened and even very remote areas. So, you know, the people from our country. Um, there is an open-mindedness in our country and an interest. Uh, and in fact, it's one of the most the things I'm most proud of as an American is the interest that we we generally have in other cultures and in other people. And if you couple that with um, with some time that you can take away from your busy life here and go somewhere and make yourself available um, for helping someone, but really helping them do what they want to do, not trying to lead them down a path that they, you know, that they don't want to go down, as as is the case with some of the um, projects that end up in these other countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's there's a there's really a need for this, and I've encouraged some of the naturopathic students and other my private students to, um, if they're interested in this, to yeah, go some of these places cool. and put yourself out there, you know. All right. Thank you. That's great. That's a very thorough response. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, uh, Anne once is uh, 66, and um, 
she she uh, says her calcium seems to be depleting. She's been drinking tea. I don't know if it's a tea or an infusion or, or what. Of, but anyway, she says drinking tea of stinging nettles and comfrey, but it's constipating. Any suggestions for getting good calcium in her system? And she says she's also been eating spinach. So what what do you have for Anne? Well, uh, I would have a lot of questions for Anne. Right. Uh, you know, because... Well, what are a couple of questions you might have her look into or places that she could, you know, get some... Well, first of all, in general, nettles are not... Um, are, are sometimes the opposite of constipation. Yeah, that's what and I was thinking. So, um, you know, the constipation piece, I would... Um, I might start there uh, rather than the calcium piece and want to explore... You know, uh, what kind of constipation? I mean, what that's a word that is people define in different ways. And so I would want to know more about what, why she thinks she's constipated and what, you know, symptoms she has and, and how her bowel habits uh, play out and spend some time there probably working on various things, you know, from more liquids in general, more juicy foods, uh, you know, fruits, fresh fruits, um, and ways and and of course fiber uh to and other and and uh organic acids you know that are in the juicy fruits so things like that so and then as far as the calcium goes i think that in general we tend in our country to be more mineral deficient than we should be for the amount of calories that we have available to most of us and uh and certainly that's a concern. And so, um, you know, I think comfrey is relatively high in minerals as the stinging nettles. The availability of minerals is always problematic. And uh, and so if you look back in, in um, the books, in, in uh, eclectic books and other herbals from the past, there's uh, often a vinegar, uh, an acid, is added to help to extract minerals, and, and of course we we've continued that a lot of us with making these acid tinctures, so called, with, which are basically uh, most of us use apple cider vinegar mm-hmm. to extract. And so, you know, if if, um, if she wants to get the, the most minerals out of her herbs, I I would think that it would be better to put them in a uh, add some. Uh, acid to them. Even if she's making a tea, mm-hmm. acidify the tea, you know, with a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar to every cup of water so that, that the minerals are more available. And uh, I, I would say uh, um, infusing or decocting uh, oat straw, inf- you know. Would be yeah, it, it would be. But again, the mineral, I mean, the, uh, the acid is important for helping to get that mineral right, out. Right, Because, right. you know, like we're talking about oats, Comfrey and nettles, they all three have um, a lot of silica as a protective, um, uh, and many plants do. Uh, another one that's very high in it is horsetail, and they have, um, silica is, uh, to break it down, there, there are various things that people have done through either long steeping, um, some boiling, um, or, you know, decocting, rather than just infusing in the case of oats, it, you know, if that isn't ground up, like you know, whole oat um, oat straw or um, oat tops, as many people are using now, which are really great, 
-hmm. If you just take a handful of oat tops that aren't really chopped up very much at all and put them in, you know, an infusion, you're not going to get a whole heck of a lot of minerals from them. You may get some other goodies. So in focusing on minerals, um, in creating mineral solutions, I think it's very important to focus directly on the minerals. Uh, And that is through, you know, adding heat and acid are the two things. And then the third thing that I'm experimenting a lot with myself right now is through burning to ash the herbs. And this is something that was, of course, done... um, well, there's one technique, uh, the German word for it is spagyric, and that's adding ash back to, you know, your product and, uh, you know, your your liquid product. And it, it's more involved even in that. It, 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 it ties into alchemy, and, of course, the ash ties into alchemy in general, burning things down to their elements and uh, their basic elements. And so those, there are more and more people putting ashes into their tincture products or into their teas wow and then then in steeping those and of course we're, we grew up um and this is i've been teaching this uh, the last few years um i've been going over the elements for myself i i, I every i'm always relearning things and going back over and, and right now i've been going through the elements i started with water i did that for five six years really studying water um and now i'm i've moved on to fire and I'm teaching a lot about fire in my classes and burning things. Like last weekend, we had a herb walk, and we burned. We're getting ready to make a mineral solution in the class, and one of the things we burned was eggshells from the eggs uh, from the chickens there at that at the beautiful place we were at, and taking those eggshells down to a um, an ash, and then put adding those, and then also unburned eggshells along with. We're going to use. Um, nettles we picked the nettles the other day um the nettles and uh horsetail and oat uh Mm. oat tops and uh, those are the main three and then eggshells in a in a cider apple cider vinegar um, base that's 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 the product we're making that'd be a serious mineral solution that's amazing yeah, and it, you know the eggshells taste terrible. Basically, um, <laughs> not just the burned ones; they smell terrible too when you're burning, and they smell like burning hair. But yeah. um, the they're they're very they taste very chalky. The unburned eggshells. But I wanted to tell people to go online, and um, if they're not opposed to eating eggs, to research uh, eggshells. I mean, there's tons of information. Uh, as I started into my fire thing, I've been doing this with eggshells for a while, for a few years, but I never looked them up online. But, so anyway, that's a recent phenomena for me, and I've just been a, a, I'm just amazed at what's on the internet about eggshells, and also that liner inside the egg, the very tough uh, membrane. Um, lots of joint, uh, great joint uh, medicine in there, and other connective tissue things uh, in that, as, as you would expect, as tough as it is. Of course. So you know, this is. Working with the elements is where you want to start with getting remineralizing. Is is working with going right right into studying what is calcium, how does it work, what does it need, and that's a good thing about using the herbs for helping to balance calcium is because they are so balanced in other minerals, and you can't just um, you know be calcium deficient. You you're not just calcium deficient. You're other mineral deficient, so you can't you don't want to just focus on calcium. And that, that's a good thing about using the herbs. So anyway, 
Great. That's kind of an involved answer, too. But um, No, no, that's good. Involved answers. <laughs> well, you know, um, nice. also, uh, with, as far as, I forget her name. What's her name? Anne? Um, mm-hmm. Anne. Anne, uh, with her fingernails, looking at her fingernails. I mean, how did she, how does she know she's calcium, or that, you know, she's calcium deficient? That's how she, she opened it. Uh, you know, I, I one way I look at it without doing bone scans is just looking at fingernails and seeing the ridging and the strength and the health of fingernails and and so if you're and this is how you can help to see if your your mineral solution uh, or whatever you're doing to get minerals is helping is through watching your fingernails they change pretty quickly if you're if you're eating well or not you know that you can see them go downhill very quickly too it's amazing actually because they seem so hard but they're they're very um, dynamic so okay and um I want to have time at, at the end to talk about your classes that you offer and stuff. So we'll just have choose one more question here, um, and um, I'm going to have to choose the one that involves a two-year-old because as a dad and you're a mom, right? Oh, I, I, my heart yeah. just. Goes. <laughs> I want to help the two-year-old. Um, so uh, Tiffany is from Minnesota, and uh, she says. As soon as her two-year-old gets a cold, she begins to retract in her ribs and neck. She says, I've had to give her steroid treatments multiple times. She's on vitamin D, which helps her stay healthy, but every once in a while she gets a cold and the cycle starts over again. Is there anything I can do in place of the steroid treatments that will help open up her bronchial path so she can breathe with ease? That's the question. Yeah, well, that's a huge question because mm-hmm. aren't they all? <laughs> you should you should see person. some of these other questions that came yeah. in. I mean, they're like 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 pages long. I'm like, <laughs> know. and we're all dealing with so many things all the time. And you know, with our children, it's just so um, it's so overwhelming when they don't mm-hmm. feel well. And then and then with the attra- retraction, I'm 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 assuming she's seeing being able to see the great inhalation where you can see the ribs and, you know, they're, they're really struggling to draw a breath. Um, you know, that certainly um, means that you need to, to be proceed with anything with a lot of caution, you know, and, and get help. So I, I can't blame her for seeking uh, help, um, you know, medical help for that. You really need to watch that. And, of course, I'd be wanting to know if it's been diagnosed as asthma you know, it's a little bit young for asthma diagnosis. is usually a little bit later than that. But, um, and then I, I think you said it was Minnesota mm-hmm. um, is where they're located. One of the, uh, in, in general, like breathing, when a, if a child gets a lot of colds, and this is only a two-year-old, I mean, how many colds can a two-year-old have had? Um, you know, would be my question. When did they start getting colds? Uh, if they're getting a, that getting frequent colds, I mean, it's certainly a sign that um, there's adjustments that need to be made in daily life and that this isn't just, you know, a, a breathing problem. This is a problem with diet, um, maybe other concerns too. So some of the things I would definitely go down the path and to explore are, um, uh, you know, the foods and making sure that they're, they're really getting a lot of, of uh, vitamin A and, uh, through, you know, uh, foods, carrots and veg, you know, dark green leafy vegetables and 
squash and things like that that are really really jam packed with vitamin A for the the um, for that health and vitamin D. Well, yeah, vitamin D is good uh, to have, better from the sun. I mean, it's you know, and I know it's a big deal right now to to, to give vitamin D. It's uh, you know, people need to look into it a little bit. Um, there are some problems with um, you know in the way that it's being given, but. Um, that's important is getting, you know, getting outdoors, getting some sun, even when it's um, not nice outside as far as warmth, you know, at least get, getting the skin in the sun. And, of course, in the summer, getting out in the sun a lot. Uh, and, of course, sunblocks and things. I mean, it's interesting. We're taking vitamin D now, and we've had all these sunblocks for years, you know, uh, blocking the creation of vitamin D. Now we have to, you know, prescribe it. Um, and then also probably... Um, one of the more important things I find for sleeping at night, the lungs, the lungs work best with cool, moist air. But you want to be warm. You want your body to be warm. But you want your lungs to breathe cool, moist air. And so, um, sleeping with the windows even very, very slightly cracked, and in there, in her um, winter time environment, there, the tiniest crack is going to let floods of cold air into the house and so this is always a problem of the heat you know coming on so keeping the heat turned down pretty low in the house getting getting that window cracked so that the lungs can do the exchange and keep clean as clean as they can and not dry out they have to stay really moist to work well uh, and you know like with croup um, which a lot of children will get and go through a spell with croup you know a few maybe a year or two three years with croup where a cold will start to get into this very bad spasmodic cough, especially at night, uh, and uh, the parents freak out and then you usually end up at the hospital um, in an emergency room. But what doctors notice that by the time that the child would have left home and get to the emergency room, the croup symptoms would have either abated or become much less. And so um, now even I think it's the American Pediatrics Association or one of the um, medical associations, uh, you know, recommend cool, moist night air, you know, taking your child, bundle them up, take them outside, sit on the porch, uh, or just sit by an open window. Uh, they used to recommend going into the, the, the bathroom and turn the shower on, but that, of course, that's warm, moist air. Um, or just turn the cold water on in the shower if you don't have access to getting outdoors or by a window. But anyway, cool moist, cool, moist air, you know, that would be a good thing to try with that child um, when they start to get into that retraction kind of mm-hmm. scenario with the cough. And then as far as, um, let's see, oh, there was one other thing that I think is very important if a child is getting, a, or anyone is getting a lot of respiratory complaints, and that is molds in the house. Mm. So if um, very problematic Areas are siding on the house that's that's leaked, that's allowed mold to grow inside the house, but you don't see it on the walls, but you, but it's it's leaking into the house, and then also cement floors, uh, where there's especially if there's carpet, uh, tacked down carpet especially is bad over a cement floor, any kind of cement floor it takes about five or six years for a cement floor to dry thoroughly, yeah. um, even yeah. in regular. <laughs> So, you know, that can be very problematic. And over the years of working in clinical work, um, many times trying to, it's like the dog chasing its tail with trying to, to interrupt these symptoms with some people and they just keep coming back. You may, you may, they may get better, but then they come back and then you find out that they keep, you know, here I live in the Northwest and you don't have to have 
you know, it's not that cold usually. Uh, so people don't turn their heat on a lot to save money, and especially a lot of um, naturopathic students when I was seeing a lot of them, keeping the costs down, students of all kinds, they would end up living in these houses that were very cool and uh, clammy, and they would end up having molds uh, that would grow. So my advice to them became to at least once a week and probably make it on the weekend so that you can thoroughly enjoy it, turn your heat up and get that house really warmed up or get get a big fire going in the fireplace or the wood mm-hmm. stove or whatever, you know, drive off the molds and beat them back with a stick, so to speak, so that you can get well and break that cycle. And then Actually, as far in Minnesota. as Earth, pardon? In Minnesota, too, where you're cooped up a lot of the year. Yeah, you're cooped up, and that's what I'm thinking. Um, yeah. You know, we're, we're cooped up, all of us, way too much in general, most of us, um, but... You know, in that kind of climate, you can. And then with kids, getting them out and bundling them up and everything is is problematic. As far as herbs that are good, um, bronchodilating herbs that would be uh, that I would feel comfortable using in a child. One of them is fennel. Uh, another one is anise seeds. Uh, those are making a very strong uh, decoction. I, I call it an infused decoction. I sort of made that up, but um, you. You bruise the seeds, just kind of rub them or pound on them a little bit with uh, something before you make the tea, and then you put them into water, a good heaping tablespoon per cup of water in this case, um, and then you bring them to just just bring them to a boil, turn them off, you know, put a, keep a lid on um, the pan, turn, just bring them to a boil, turn them off, and let them steep there till they're cool, and that's a a good solid bronchodilating um, mm. tea then. Uh, and that can be stored. You can make like a quart of it up mm. and store that in the refrigerator. It's better to be taken warm or room temperature. Um, but you can make enough for a few days, and so that that's handy. And it was often served with sugar and sugar, you know, uh, or honey. Sugar was uh, is is a expectorant and was always used in lung formulas. You know, we get cough syrups for that reason. But um, uh-huh. you could use honey to make that taste better, and that also has some good lung effects. So that's a real base. Nice. And then I also like to buy fennel bulb, you know, that's available in the stores, and you can chop that up uh, and the and the, um, the white part as well as the, the green leafy part and uh, add that to your tea as well with the fennel seeds or anise seeds. They're, they both contain anisole, both fennel and anise, and they're, they're bronchodilating and it's whatever flavor you kind of like. Um, or, can can you do a steam tent with that too? Yeah, I mean that would be good. That's very scary for kids. Yeah, you know they that hot liquid, hot steam, it scares them. And and what you really don't want to do, and this is another big piece for breathing problems in young people, um, is you, you don't want that fear factor to right. go into. And you know asthma often, in my experience. Um, shows up after a very bad uh, scare, a bad trauma, a bad mm. loss, mm. you know, whether it's the parents divorcing or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a parent dying or a dog, or, you know, something something has lost that it, there hasn't been able to be, grief hasn't been able to come out. And there's a really good word for this in South America and uh, Mexico, susto, um, S-U-S-T-O, 
and it has to do a lot with breathing, and this would be something she could look up on the Internet is about Susto and treating Susto. You know, I have no idea if this child has had any kind of trauma um, that would relate to Susto, but uh, certainly it's taken very seriously even by regular medical people in, um, in uh, Latin America, and it's, it, it's something that we can all learn from and learn, learn how to address more. So, anyway. That's okay. Well, that's a great, great answer. Thank you. I learned a lot there. <laughs> I oh, appreciate thank that. Thank you. Um, so, what I'd like to talk about. Now, do you, by any chance, also in your work, do consultations or, like, phone work? Or uh, some people not, do? I don't have an office now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. You know, I, got, I just got my kids sort of launched, and uh, I'm yeah. back to teaching <laughs> more. But uh, I haven't really. I'm not really doing consults in that way so right. at the moment but maybe maybe pretty soon well tell us about your program well i for many years i had a two-year program that really designed for people that are living in the portland or the metropolitan area some mm-hmm. people drove from a long ways away um i thought longer than they should for you know two <laughs> two three hour class in the evening and then the second year was a weekend um a month mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I retired that class a few years ago, and I, I just restarted the, this uh, groundswell herbs, I call it, the healing power of plants. So we're in the middle of the first six-month um, program, and I'm, I'm really re- just revamping that uh, into a, a, another, a different, little bit different program than what I offered before. But if people are interested in living that, in this area, you know, they can just contact me by email, and it's, in your, it's just Cascade Herbs, all one word. Cascade Herbs at Easy Street, all one word, right, written out, E-A-S-Y, street, dot net. Okay. And, uh, and, you know, I just get back to them. I, I'm very low-tech. I don't have a website. And That's uh, good. Hey, you're saving yourself a lot of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the point. I, I try to get outside more, you know, and it's hard enough to do that with just all the things that we do every day and, so I feel like it, running a website would be more than I really want to do. Well, it could be easier than you think. So if you want to set up something simple, I'll, I'll call me sometime and we'll. Okay. I'll tell yeah, you how to do it. Great. Really yours easy. Is a wonderful website. Re- really easier than you think these days, um, and it's free too. Um, so Cascade Herbs at EasyStreet.net. That's interesting because you don't. You may not know this, but my acupuncture clinic place I have is called Cascade Acupuncture. Yeah. And I, I named it after the mountains, not you, but, you know. <laughs> well, a nice name. It is a very nice name. <laughs> I like it a lot. Um, so that's wonderful. And so, yes, if you live in the Portland area, write Cascade and find out when the next, uh, all the details of the next class. Uh, yeah, I'll be starting <laughs> up in October, the next series. Perfect. So there's plenty of time to get information and plan your plan your. Uh, your, your future learning. October's a great time to start. Um, yeah, and I may do an herb camp this summer, um, which I mm-hmm. haven't done for a long time, but I used to do a lot. And so if people are interested in that, drop me a line. And uh, that could be from pe- for people even out of the vicinity because it'll be like a week-long um, extravaganza. Oh, of great, great. Having fun and learning. Yes. And at the International Herb Symposium, which you can visit at internationalherbsymposium.com. You are teaching formulating for the digestive tract and herbal parenting. 
So those are two classes you and can take. And the intensive, the herb one. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, right. Sorry. On and Friday. an intensive herb walk. It's literally like a three or more hour herb walk that you're doing. Yeah, because it's a huge property, and there's wonderful herbs there, you know, famous, famous herbs like the Michella Repens, and, uh, oh, we found, um, uh, I found um, uh, um, colic root, um, oh, jeez, Elytris farinosa, uh, which is also called... um, Oh, gee, so it's the wonderful um, fertility herb, um, unicorn root, mm-hmm. true unicorn wow. root, and that's on that property. And it was growing out with these, where these tortoises were laying their eggs. Uh, actually, they're turtles laying their eggs right by it. This great fertility herb. It was very exciting. So it's it's a wonderful property. I love to get people out, walk around on a, on all the grounds there at, at Wheaton College. And, you know, I last year, uh, two years ago when I was there, I, I taped a whole walk with Jim McDonald that's on Herb Mentor videos. And um, oh, he, did, he did a really cool thing, and we have him talking about it in one of the videos. But he went to, uh, to the Zach Woods Herb Farm booth, and Zach Woods Herb Farm is run by Jeff Carpenter, Rosemary's son-in-law, mm-hmm. and his wife. And um, he bought a black cohosh, and he went out and before the walk, planted it in the perfect spot and then at the end of the walk he ended it on the black cohosh that he planted and just to (laughs) say that you know it it, we're involved in this too and we can help bring a lot of these plants back i love that idea isn't that cool that's a wonderful idea yeah (laughs) we we could be doing more of that actually it would fit with the united plant series i'm on the advisory board but that would be a wonderful idea there that we should jump off with Jim's start on that. Yeah, and um, and uh, that we should mention that too that the International Herb Symposium is a benefit for the United Plant Savers, and uh, organization dear to my heart too. We donate proceeds for a lot of proceeds from the Wildcraft board game to them too. So, well, thank you for doing that. Really oh yeah, that. that's that's a big that's important. All right, so Cascade Anderson Geller, it's been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time, and uh, we'll be we'll I'll, I'll be seeing you at something. I'm I'm, I'm sure soon. <laughs> yeah, well, I look forward to it, John. And thanks again for inviting me to be on and for your good work. Thank you. Herb Mentor Radio on HerbMentor.com is a production of LearningHerbs.com. Visit LearningHerbs.com for free herbal lessons, including Herb Mentor News, Home Remedy Secrets, and Supermarket Herbalism. You'll also find the Herbal Medicine Making Kit and our board game, Wildcraft. Herb Mentor Radio. Copyright LearningHerbs.com. All rights reserved. Thanks so much for listening.